welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Candice Smith. She's the founder and CEO of Caregiven, a mobile app that guides and empowers individuals to skillfully support the needs and wishes of an aging or ailing loved one so that everyone involved benefits from greater peace of mind and better physical, emotional, and financial health. Candice founded the company after caring for her father during his final years while also trying to manage her career and being the best mother she could. Hi, Candace. Welcome to Woman to Woman. We are so excited to have you. I am super excited to have the opportunity to speak to you and everybody who's listening. Now, this is going to be a great conversation. So let's start with your childhood. How was your childhood? Of course, it was great. I I have nothing to compare it to, which is uh, a theme throughout my life. Traditional family, mother, father, older brother. I'm the younger sister. We grew up, I grew up in a small town. Was lucky. I think I'm very lucky. What did you aspire to be growing up? I had always thought that I wanted to be a lawyer because at the time I was an argumentative, inquisitive, trying to convince people to see things my way type of child. But didn't really narrow in on anything as a child. Um, and which is important because children only know, you know, the doctors, the the firefighters, the, the lawyers, the teachers, they're not really exposed to all of the nuances in between um, unless it's in their own home. And in my, my home, my childhood home, my father went to sea for a living. He was a chief engineer on a ship. Um, he would be gone for three or six months and home for three to six months. So that was my normal. And my mom um, was a, a stay at home mom who really, you know, we had a small farm. And so she was a volunteer and all of that. So those were my two examples. Those weren't either of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah, I didn't have an aspirational other than being a lawyer. As we get into the, the, the next conversation, it's like, when did you decide not to be a lawyer? And, and anybody specific growing up that really helped you shape your life? Everybody. One of the values and innate things with me is always seeing the lesson. Um, and so I can think through uh, um, every teacher who taught me something something not maybe practical or even educational, but in their demeanor, I am strongly influenced by my mom, of course, as as a a woman, and she was my role model. And then, but I didn't ever have, you know, Sally Ride or one of these individuals uh, that I really aspired to be like. Um, And I think that that has helped me maintain who I am rather than trying to sort of be me rather than to try to be like somebody else. So going back to what you were saying, so you had this ambition, you wanted to be a lawyer, you come Mm -hmm. to high school, and then clearly things changed a little bit, because you are not a lawyer today. (laughs) So what happened? Uh, Well, so I went to college, um, went to the University of Oregon, go Ducks, had decided I was going to study history. So what does one do with a history degree? They become a lawyer, they become a teacher. Uh, So unfortunately, in my second year, um, I got involved with a lawsuit um, where I was to testify um, in a situation about my experience, and I saw behind the curtain of the the legal world. And I knew that wasn't for me. Um, It wasn't the glamour that I thought it would be. And what I really honed in on was the preparation and the, the understanding of the context, which suited my history degree. So then the next job for a history major is what? It's a teacher. So I was 
I was going to be a teacher until I student taught. And I was like, no, 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 no. I do not have this, um, this in me, which is interesting too, because if you set your sights on a specific path and then that path, as you step into it, doesn't materialize as you thought it should, do you continue to move forward and make it work? Or do you, Uh, as we use in startup land, do you pivot? Do you say, okay, what do I like about this experience and what do I don't like? And in that case, I loved the educational setting. I didn't like working with students, Uh, but ultimately that, that too didn't necessarily lead me to my first career. Uh, What led me to my, my first career was my older brother who he knew of my strengths Uh, And he knew of my interests and he came across a development officer or an alumni relations person at his school when he was graduating. And he said, wow, Candace, you should really look at nonprofits. You should look at a career where you can write grant proposals and research individuals who might be philanthropic donors. You can build community and connection. And that's really what opened me up to my first career of which my major 100% liberal arts, what are you going to do with a history degree um, has fully equipped me for. So again, it was that series of trial and error, which is something that um, I think is really an important theme in my life. And you've worked in nonprofit for a while now, and you've done like different things within yeah. nonprofit. Now, looking back, do you think something else apart from your history degree would have also helped you kind of learn through experience, maybe in school, if you had done that? The art of conversation, the art of connection. Those are the things you can't learn in a book that um, I, I've picked up in life. And that led me to, again, my first career in fundraising um, and the beauty within that career was, uh, as with all occupations, there's different silos, different opportunities within that that could grow and foster. So my first job out of school was writing grants uh, for the University of Portland. And that then involved in doing prospect research was, um, I can't think of any specific other career I would have been called to. I've never actually stumbled upon a career or an occupation or a specific job that I think, hmm, I would have been really good at that, or I wish I would have um, pursued that. You know, working in nonprofits uh, was a really good fit for me up until a certain point. So people that kind of have the grit and they really have the conviction because for a nonprofit, you have to have that, you know, strong beliefs. It is hard work. And to your point, you have to raise funds. You have to do a lot of things that's doesn't come naturally to everybody needs some kind of strong personalities who believe in what they're doing how do you find the right fit for these roles like your brother for example you know was somebody who knew your strengths he knew this would be a great fit but when you're looking out for people what do you look for that's super interesting because now my career has gone into an entirely different direction i am the ceo of a a tech startup and when you are looking at individuals who want to contribute to your company, what are you looking for? Are you looking for technical skills or are you looking for coachability, adaptability, grit? You know, I've hired so many people, uh, unfortunately had to let people go in my career. And, and, and what you look for is, or what I look for is um, a deeper understanding of the why that the job is important 
um, and what they can bring to, to the job and what about the position motivates them. I've not hired amazing people because they were more focused on working at the employer and not doing the job. And so that's one of the things that I look for is um, what is the position, the person and their opportunity, where do, is the organizational need and, and where do I think they're going to take it? Are they just going to come in and, and do what's being asked of them, which is great for a lot of people. There's a lot of comfort in that. But um, in a nonprofit world or even in a startup, you're looking for that. This is this is my job, but I could add all of these other things in, until that position is created. So the, the desire to just really pitch in um, and contribute to the cause is something that um, you can only really truly have if you believe in what you're doing and you understand where your role fits in the machinery. That is so true. So if you had to divide your career in parts, because again, you're not doing where you started with, you're doing something very unique. And again, you're very passionate about it. If you had to divide it in three parts, how do they differ? And what have you learned along the way? I love this question um, because obviously it's what I did, what I'm doing and what I will do is one way to, to look at it. Um, but really when I was thinking about this question, there was a good 20 years of my career where it was all about the learning, the practical experience. And so that first part of my career, which was my nonprofit career, things that I had decided was I would, I didn't want to be a supervisor or a manager or a leader early on. I, that wasn't what I was aspiring to do, but ultimately because I had taken upon myself to, to learn every aspect of the business, I ultimately was able to become that person. Then when my life's work manifested itself to me um, in creating caregiving, I draw on all of those skills in that first part of the career. So this, this phase of my career, while I'm creating something in the world, I'm actually putting into practice all of the learnings from those first 20 years, whether that is, you know, having a supervisor that's not happy with me um, and having to now be that person saying, you know, this didn't turn out as I did, or it's, we just need to get that done. I'm going to send that email or I'm going to go hand out those flyers. This part of my career right now is putting into practice all of those learnings from the first 20 years. And then the next part of my career will be, how do I give back? Not that I haven't been a mentor or a lifter up and an empowerer. That's just who I am by nature. But I think that the next evolution of my career will very much be mentoring, using my success to help people get um, where they need to be faster, reflecting on the transformation so that others are, again, not having to go through many of the same struggles that I did. I'm really keen for the the next iteration of my life, even though right now, between now and, you know, the next five, seven, 10 years, it's really using all of those skills with purpose that I learned in the first part. So you've already started your next phase by doing this podcast. Well, I guess, I guess so. You have a 13 year old daughter. I have a 13 year old daughter and a 15 year old son. Yes, I do. So given that you had your career at the time, you also had your kids. Did you have any specific challenges and how did you really overcome those? 
Yes. Kids challenges going through an experience you've never gone through before, which is parenthood. Um, and unless you did it once and then 10 years later, you're doing it again. It's always a new experience. Um, I had originally thought I was going to be a working mom. And then I had this little baby and I was like, no, I want to stay home with them. And then I realized I was a better mom. If I had an outlet outside of the home, one of the most amazing individuals in my life is a woman named Isla Davies. She was head of the women's college in Australia um, at the University of Queensland, who said, I can do both. You can manage both. Just know what your priority is. And that really came to light one day. My son was in kindergarten and he announces at breakfast that he's getting an award. And it happened to be the day that I was supposed to go to work. And I was like, congratulations. And he said, you're going to be there, right? To, to get this award. I'm, and I said, you're just telling me about this now. It wasn't, the teacher didn't say anything. And he said, but I thought you were a mommy first. You know, of course, that's the knife in the heart where here I'm trying to do something for me and something for my child feels like I'm not choosing them. Um, and I said, you know what? You're right. I am a mommy first. And, and I was able to recalibrate my schedule so that I could show up for him. But that even to this day um, lives with me. Um, How do you make yourself present for that 13-year-old daughter who is very anxious about going back to school next week for the first time, yet also manage all of the other um, opportunities? And at the end of the day, I weigh the emotion and I weigh the impact of her pain or my pain if I'm missing a meeting Um, And we we talk about it. I don't treat my children like children. I will say, I've got this really important thing. Can you not knock on my door? Like between now and 11 a.m. And and then they'll say what? And then they're intrigued. And and then they respect that. You just got to do whatever works best for you and them. And that's individualized. That's so true, though. Like when you start sharing your concerns and your ambitions with them, it becomes part of their life and they're also rooting for you. So um, I completely agree with that. I still remember um, when my kids were young, I would put, you know, like if if I had anything major happening, I would put a little paper out there to say, mommy's busy. So yes. one of the crafts that they had to do for Thanksgiving, they had to make a gift. So my daughter actually made a little blackboard where you can write it with chalk. And she said, I know your messages change and the paper is getting wasted. So uh-huh. why don't you put this and you just write it and change it as it changes. Uh, that point I was like, oh my God. So they kind of get it, right? No, they completely get it. My daughter made um, little birds on strings and one side says stop and the other says go. And I, I love birds. And so they hang on my door. And when I'm in a meeting that um, I really just can't be interrupted in unless, you know, a, somebody is having a panic attack or losing a limb, I put it on stop. Um, and if Otherwise they can pop in and that's a beautiful thing, right? So you're teaching them problem solving skills, how to respect what's going on around them, even though they often feel like they're the center of the the universe. And so I love that because that's exactly what my, my daughter did too. So along with managing the kids, did you ever have to also face any perceptions, very typical perceptions? How did you manage all those challenges? I'm still managing all of those challenges, um, though I think the world world is, is a lot different now. You know, it's the mommy shame 
right? I, I wasn't going to go to see my son get an award for packing his lunch every day, which I did. You know, at the end of the day, my executive coach has taught me the question, you know, did, do I like myself in the situation? Did I like myself in the situation? And, and not did others perceive me in a different way, but it's really, did I do the best that I can given the time and the constraints that I had, even though I knew I was failing somebody? or letting somebody else down and, and really taking that moment to say, but would I have done it differently? Could I have done it differently? Or did I make the right decision? But yes, there's always the, the not fitting in group, you know, the sense of belonging is, is often very, very hard. Um, you know, do you belong with the, the other mommies? Do you, do you belong with the working mommies? You don't have as much connection with them because they're also working. You know, in my case, I had a lot of flexibility of my own schedule. So I could be um, a foot in both camps which meant I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. That is hard and it's isolating and we do it to ourselves too. You know, we're like, okay, I've got so much going on. I have to almost just manage rather than um, try to fit in, but I'm still working on that. I mean, that's something that even to this day, how am I going to get my kids to school when I start up my, start my work day at eight and I want to see them off to the bus? Are they going to hate me for the rest of their lives? Because I don't make them breakfast. I give them a box to open for breakfast. So I don't know. The way I look at it, they're better prepared for life. <laughs> yes. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love that. So you mentioned coach. So along with executive coaches along the way, did you ever seek out mentors or did you have specific mentors that really had a huge impact? So I never sought out a specific mentor where I was saying, I want her job. I want her to help me have her job or his job. But um, mostly, you know, you're drawn to the people who are, are similar to you, assume their journey could be your journey. So I, I don't recall ever really formalizing a mentor-mentee relationship until this part of my career, which is the startup career, where the lessons are so raw and happening so fast that if you have sort of that, that person who's just a little bit ahead of you, who can help you and then normalize the experience, I think that that's vastly important. But I would say that everybody was a mentor um, as well. So looking at say some of my, my first boss, was she a mentor? Um, no, um, she didn't take me under her wing and try to coach me out of my position and help me grow and bloom. Did I learn a lot from her? Absolutely. I even still to this day would say, what would Gail do in this situation? And then I do the opposite. And so that is something important is just because someone is, you know, a formal mentor or an informal mentor, their way is their way and, and they are gifting you their journey, but you don't have to follow it. I can think of just innumerable people who I have learned from and iterated from to, to get where I am today. Now, today I have a therapist to help me with being a midlife woman with soon to be empty nest in the next five years and a startup and first career. And, and I have an executive coach, uh, which is a very different way of approaching how to and grow and improve. And then I have a peer group who are going through my network as well as that peripheral. Okay. You just had a seed fundraise. You just raised 3 million dollars. What do I need to know going in? What's the lay of the land? I just have multiple individuals that I source for very specific things, which is very meaningful. Startup is not easy. 
not for everybody. No. So what got you into startup? And tell us a little bit about Caregiven. Yeah. So as I said earlier, my life's purpose, which is my startup, materialized for me when I was going through a very personal life event, losing my father. Often, you know, people who are aspiring novelists are told, write about what you know. I knew that um, this experience I was going through shouldn't be the way it it was. Um, Being an informal caregiver to somebody, it shouldn't be as hard as it is. The transition was um, I was working part-time. My husband um, was living overseas, commuting back and forth. And I had a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and a dying father who had three years or less to live. And it was constantly Am I a good daughter? Am I a good mother? Or am I a good employee? Um, and, and there was no me in this. I ultimately left my position because I couldn't do both. And that shouldn't be the case either. So I got angry. And that's how caregiving sort of manifested is it, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this hard. I can either complain about it or I can, can contribute to the solution. And that's what launched me into this startup mode of really, again, being passionate about something enough to want to learn everything about it and then advance it and make it better. Caregiven itself, again, our mission, our, our moonshot actually is to remove the fear of caregiving, whether it's needing to provide care to somebody or accepting care and realizing that you can't do what you used to do. So that is a fear fraught experience. And and we want to remove that and turn it into an empowering, proactive, here's what you can expect experience that is at the touch of your fingertips. We know that there are more people needing support than there are professionals to provide it. So how can we leverage the technology to sort of be an intermediary in that cycle um, and use technology to help humans be more human? And in that case, my very personal raw experiences. I don't know how to talk about, how do you ask somebody who is your, your person, your role model, you know, are you afraid of dying? What do you want in the next six months? Um, I didn't have the words, except the words exist. And so how do you bring that in a digestible way? So our product right now is uh, an app soon to have a web platform as well. That really is your trusted guide through that care journey. And that's my life's work is, yeah, it's just, it's bringing all of the bits of me, the history, the research, the coordination, the, the humility, the vulnerability into a system that um, empowers others to go through this experience. But congratulations, like you have to be commended. It's not easy to take a personal experience and then go through this whole work to have a startup and make it successful. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's helping people. And that's, you know, one of your questions is, uh, what is the source of your joy? Um, And really, what is the source? not of the joy or the pain or the, it is the source is, is that other people need this and nobody else has done it. And so I guess I'm the one to do it and, and it's benefiting them. Um, And so that's what keeps you going is if you can save somebody a little bit of heartache, even though nobody saved you, it doesn't matter. It's, that's what keeps me going. Leave it forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Leaving everything you're doing and starting a startup. 
Did you have any naysayers? Like, did people believe in you? Who was your biggest supporter? Oh, well, the naysayers every day, every day. I've had people tell me, you know, you're not investable because you're a 40 year old woman, you know, not even hearing me talk. I've had people say, I want to live forever. Your product, you know, isn't, isn't sticky enough. And, and at the end of the day, my biggest supporters are the people who are like, I get this. I could have used this. Obviously my family is tremendous. And my, um, my husband, he said, you know, you're really passionate about this, this pain you want to solve, do something about it. Now I joke that he thought I was going to write a few blogs and get it out of my system and then go back to my career. And what happened was, you know, honey, we, we need to make a capital investment. I want to hire a design team and, and, and go down this path. So he obviously has been extremely supportive. And, and then there are just all of the people I've met along the way. I haven't heard anybody who says no, even the naysayers, they're like, I get it. I could have used it. My wife could have used it, but, and then they tell me why my company's going to fail. That's great. That's their perspective. It hasn't failed yet. And I don't think it will. I know it won't. Were you concerned or were you anxious having a tech startup with your background? Again, there are many components that have to come together in a tech startup. Uh, Biggest component being technology, at least some solid background. I'm not a technologist. No, Um, I am. In fact, it's it's a joke within the company that I expect tech to work, um, and I don't. But but see, I'm my target user, right? You know, you're in a crisis. The app just needs to be there, and then take me down the path. So again, this is something I learned in my first career: is that you can't be all things to all people. You can't be the CTO the chief sales officer, the chief human resources, the CEO, I just can't. And so as I have been evolving and growing this company, I I've really sat with myself and said, what am I good at? What can I contribute? And what can't I? And then going out and finding the individuals to serve those roles. I started Caregiven as a tech company. I founded the company in 17, really didn't get anywhere until 18. It was September of 19 that I met my technical co-founder. I knew I was not smart enough to hire a development team and manage a product or manage the development of the product. I didn't have the technical know-how and I knew it was important to have that position in my team. So I weighed it and I weighed it and I weighed it. And the naysayers are like, just build it. And I'm like, no, I'm not just going to build it because I have a little bit of money and I don't want to have to build it again. So having patience and conviction really helped with that. And then because of our mission, you meet the most amazing people who want to contribute to it, the, the like-minded individuals. And, and so right now I still wear a lot of hats, but other people are bringing their first careers into Caregiven and it's becoming their life's work as well. And then I can, ultimately I will get to what the real job of a CEO is, which is to set the vision, to find the talent and to make sure we have ample capital to not only meet our obligations, um, but also to give back into the world. It's like poetry, when your vision can be shared by multiple people and they take it upon themselves to make it their life's work. Absolutely, absolutely, that's beautiful. And and knowing that it's not my life's work that they need to fit into, it's their life's work. We talk all the time about co-creation and, you know, my product, the number one feature that my family most needed 
is not currently on the product roadmap until late in 2022. And that's because of so many other reasons, but primarily the users don't feel it's the most pressing next thing. To be able to be humble and say, okay, that's great. The universe knows better than I. I'm not going to push my agenda. Um, I think that that's, again, something I learned in my first career of, you know, how to fight your battles and then how to empower your people to own it, pick it up and run with it. I talk about how in my you know, I had this idea, I had this pain, I took the company to a, a place where in 2019, it was, I mean, if I don't have a co-founder, and I don't have an investor by the end of the year, I'm going to shut my company down because I had given birth, but I couldn't get it to the next level. Well, I met my technical co-founder and an investor, the global insurance accelerator said, we want to, we believe in you with the two of us getting the product built, getting it ready to launch. We've got this momentum. And then Anthony Mitchell comes along as the salesperson who this is his life's work. And now he can take the company to the next level. And that's just amazing and humbling and awesome. So in this journey, right, establishing your company, but nobody believed in it, you did. You looked, you had the patience to wait for the right co-founder and bring it to a really good level now. As a leader, what were some of the values that you really kind of imbibed in everything you did? So I lean into my vulnerability and what I don't know and own it and say, I don't know. Um, and that inspires other members of my team to say, well, I know that I can do that. So that is one of the things that I that first came to mind is don't have the ego where you know everything. It's actually better if you're honest about what you're good at um, and, and what you're not. Transparency is huge, right? So our we're a startup. I have five employees, five employees, and we have enough money in the bank to pay them through the end of the year. So it is now August, September, and I'm letting them know, okay, these are the steps that I'm taking. And it hurts to, to say, I don't know if I can pay you in February. I'm working on it. Trust me. So um, that's another value is the leap of faith uh, that people are putting into this company, I need to honor and respect and cherish um, and not let it erode me and in, in turn into pressure. Allowing collaborators and partners to be on this journey is another sort of value, I believe, that is helping this company continue to go and, and just trust your gut. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm really getting that deep sense of intuition of not is this good or bad, but is it right? That has really been helpful too. So. so if you had to do anything again, you know, differently, if you had to live your life all over again, what would you do differently? Nothing. It's just like if you change one element of the past, all of the lessons that have like spiraled off of that would I wouldn't have learned them. I, I don't live in the land of second guessing your choices. I think if a decision is made, I've matured to the point where decisions are not reactionary. You, you pause, you can always take a breath before you make a decision. Then it's the right decision at the right time, knowing that things are going to change and you can second guess it. I've made mistakes that I'm not proud of, but I learned tremendously from them. Um, and I, I wouldn't ever not want to have learned that mistake or fix that mistake or even 
had that experience. I've hurt people. I, I recently hurt someone who thought that their contribution to the company could go in a certain direction and it didn't manifest. And, and that hurts. I'm a better person because of it. Would I want to have saved people some pain? Yes, of course I don't, but myself no. that pain turns into a lifelong lesson. Um, and it allows me to be empathetic and really say, I remember feeling that way. I've felt that way. You're not alone. Here's how I handled it. I don't know how you're going to handle it, but I'm still here. Is there anything that you would want to tell women who want to be in your shoes, who have a conviction, they want to do something, and maybe they're scared that they don't have the right partners? What would you say to them? I would say the first thing is you are the minority and that makes you exceptional. There's a considerable amount of people out there who are just happy and and successful going along and there are very few people out there who are willing enough to even just consider an idea much less verbalize it and then take the steps to create it and bring it into a reality. The first thing I would say is you think differently than the rest of the world. So honor that because you have to spend a lot of time getting them up to speed. I wish I could say, just believe in yourself and it'll manifest. My team will tell you, I'm always not believing in myself and my skills. So I would encourage her to listen to both her naysayers and her champions and land on what's right. And I would also say, don't be so in love with what you're trying to build be in love with what you're trying to accomplish because then you'll be able to nuance and iterate and, and grow and evolve because you will be growing and evolving. You'll be knocked down. You'll have skin knees. And, you're, and if you're still in love with what it is you're trying to accomplish, it'll keep you going. I would encourage her to understand that everybody has an opinion. Everybody has advice, but those opinions and that advice doesn't trump her own intuition. Any specific advice for women on certain skills that we should be acquiring or emphasizing on and certain things we should stay away from? I wish I had, you know, this great knowledge. My co-founder, Rebecca Campbell, chief technology officer, spent the majority of her career in a very male dominated tech world. And we often talk about how you try to be something that you're not. Try to fit into the crowd, the tribe that you're placed in, not that is necessarily your tribe. And I would say, don't try to do that. Just be you. That's got to be a comfort level that I think you mature to where it's like, no, 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 I can be me and I can contribute to this. I, I can be the odd duck out. I think that uh, women today, especially a big group of the women that you um, are appealing to sort of those younger women, the world is going to look very, very different in 10 years. Um, it is going to be more, there's going to be more emphasis on what are considered the softer skills not how well you communicate, how well you, your EQ, all of that, which are natural to us as women, don't underutilize them or even gloss over them. Because I think those will be the things that are more important as these occupations evolve. You have a right to be where you are, right? Don't, don't discount that. Don't play the game the way it, you think it needs to be played. Just play the game. I would just encourage everyone to reflect a little and say, this is my strength and own it. So before we go, 
Any closing additional comments you would want to add? Thank you. First and foremost, I don't know if I've contributed to lifting up the ecosystem. I think that mentorship today looks very different than what it did when I was at the first start of my career. Um, As I was saying, I would encourage individuals to not just look at the role you want to be, but look at the person Um, in the role. There might be somebody who has a very similar background uh, in a different role, but that can help you mentor and grow to get there. Be grateful for all of the advice, whether you take it or not, um, but always be open to, you know, asking help. Um, I, I do think that the next era of business and occupations are going to be those individuals who can collaborate, having a, a network, paying it forward, connecting one another constantly. In my first career, I'd be headhunted. Even if I wasn't looking for a job, I would say, I'm not interested. Tell me about the job because I know 10 people who might be. And then you're helping somebody who then remembers you and that lifts up other people. So have your own milestones. When I was young, you know, you need to be married at 25, have your first baby, your second baby before you were 30, you know, maybe have a career, but definitely have a minivan. And I could easily have fallen into that trap. I actually did. I guess that would be the regret. I wish I would have set my own milestones and not looked at the past to create my present. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Candy. This all the best with Caregiven. We'll be watching out for you and rooting for you Thanks. and the success of Caregiven. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Well, and if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn or you can get me through my website um, for my company. I, um, I'm here to help. Thank you.